Hey guys, Jordan here. Welcome to another episode of Making Lemonade, the podcast where we talk about the lemons that we are given and how we make lemonade out of them. We all have different flavors of lemonade that we make and we all get diff- get given different lemons. And so we just, we talk about life and we talk about how we make lemonade. If you would like to see more of my work, uh, please go to Jordan Morpeth Art at Instagram and Facebook. I'm also Jordan Morpeth on Twitter and I am, uh, you can go to my website, www.jordanmorpethart.com. Those links will be down in the description, in the episode notes and in the YouTube description. I just got to put out a disclaimer today, guys. Um, This episode may trigger some people. Um, We are talking about mental health. So I just want to put a disclaimer out there. If you are easily triggered, if you have gone through trauma, if you have had mental health issues and you find it difficult to talk or think or uh, listen to others' stories, uh, you you can turn this off. Uh, Please make sure to walk away, take a deep breath, and um, I'm just here to try and help people and share my story and share others, um, a particular story that inspired me today. So guys, let's get into it. I love you all. Um, be kind to yourself as always. And like I said, don't be afraid to turn this off and um, move away if you feel feel like you're struggling with it, um, feel like you're struggling with uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, so let's get into it, guys. Cue the intro. summer I wanted to take my nine-year-old son with me to New York City. I really wanted to take him back to where I grew up and I wanted to spend a significant amount of time there so he could really get to know the city that I love and the city that I came up in and, and the city that kind of made me. We stayed in Brooklyn and, and I lived in Brooklyn for a lot of years and there were certain things that I did coming up that would inspire me. And one of those things was to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. I would walk across the bridge and I would see the city and I would see the towers when they were there. And I would look at that and say, oh, human beings did this. And it would make me want to keep going, keep moving. So I wanted to walk across the bridge with my son. Then I got to this point on the bridge that I hadn't seen in a long time and it was really the reason why I hadn't walked across the bridge in in 18 years. It was the spot where I almost ended my life. I grabbed my son and my phone and I took a picture of that moment. The reason why I almost ended my life on the Brooklyn Bridge was because 20 years ago I played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. I faced a media backlash that really made me feel like my life was over. I never thought it was a possibility to be in that movie. And I was doing a show called Stomp in New York and I got lucky. The casting director for Star Wars was in the audience of one of the shows and she asked me to audition and I got it. And it was one of those magical things. It was one of those special things that happens that you don't really hear about. 
next thing I knew, I was at Industrial Lights and Magic, and and George Lucas was directing me for a screen test. I loved the work. And throughout my life, I've always wanted to be one of those actors that disappeared into roles. Jar Jar was that times a hundred because I could literally disappear into Jar Jar. I could, I was not there. And that to me was just the height of, of the art form. The thing that makes Jar Jar special from a lot of the other CGI characters that have happened since. ILM was writing the code for this as I was doing things. So the code that's being used now for CGI, I was a part of creating that. And on set, everybody was like, oh, this is gonna be great. This is amazing. And get ready to be a star and all that. And I believed it, you know? As a 24-year-old young actor, looking at your career and looking at your future, the, the best thing to feel is, all right, here we go. This is gonna open the doors to so many different things and so many different opportunities. Then the movie came out. And there was just so much hate and venom and anger directed at me. And I took it personally. And a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, we're not talking about you, we're talking about Jar Jar. We're talking about me. I put a lot of me into that work. And if you talk to any artist and you talk to any artist who really cares about their work, you're talking about them. The hardest part for me in that entire situation was all of the criticism that came from uh, a racially motivated point of view. Growing up being black and wanting to be an artist, which is a very challenging and brave thing to do, it's not easy. We're always faced as black artists with this idea of being a sellout. Right. We have our guard up when it comes to being portrayed as an Uncle Tom, a racial stereotype, or anything that makes you as a black person look less than. It hit me. It came right for me. I was called every racial stereotype you can imagine. There was this like criticism on being this Jamaican broken dialect, which was offensive because I'm of West Indian descent, I'm not Jamaican. It was debilitating. I didn't know how to respond. I was a 26 year old kid. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a manager. I didn't have a publicist. I didn't know anything about that. I was just alone. And the depression hit me hard. I was just broken. The only thing I could think of to make me feel better was to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. But this time when I walked across the bridge, I didn't see the lights of Manhattan. I didn't see the towers. I didn't see the potential of hard work and ingenuity. And I didn't see anything. I just saw a fog. 
I felt tired of having to explain myself. I felt tired of having to defend myself and defend my work. I felt tired of having to fight back against racism and the racial stereotype. I never, this is, I just wanted to play a part. I was exhausted, you know? So I walked across the steel girder between the walkway and the bridge. And I was standing at the edge of the bridge and I was looking down at the East River and I had this thought. I remember that I went skydiving a year before. And as I was flying through the air skydiving, I remember having this thought. I remember if this chute doesn't open, I had a good life. Standing on the edge of the Brooklyn Bridge at that time, I had the same thought. I looked out at the East River and I looked out at the Statue of Liberty and I said, well, I had a good life. As I was standing there, a gust of wind just came by and it was really strong and knocked me off balance, right? And I caught myself. That's when I woke up, I caught myself. I thought to myself, if I was really about it, if I really wanted to do this, if I was really about that life, I would have let that gust of wind just take me. But I didn't. Life just came back to me. It just came rushing to me. Something in my consciousness that said, you, you have to make it to tomorrow. So I crawled across the, that steel girder separating the edge of the bridge from the walkway, and I was scared. <laughs> that's, when I, that's when I got scared. And I walked back to my apartment, and I dealt with the next day. 20 years later, I'm on the bridge with my son, and I'm looking at the spot. Just looking at it. And I take this picture. I don't know what to do with this picture. I just, I just look at it, you know? I don't know what to do with it. And I was really afraid to share this picture, you know? I was really scared because you put on this armor every day and you make it look like things don't affect you. I can't hide this anymore. This happened to me. Yeah, I felt this way. I took the picture of me and my boy and I put it on Twitter and all of a sudden it went everywhere and people were calling me and everybody started talking about it and it was surprising because I never really, uh, I never really thought anybody would care. We talk a lot about things going viral. And usually when things go viral, it's something negative. 
I didn't feel like what I posted went viral. I felt like it went communal. And I felt like it went communal because of the support that I got that I never thought was there. And I'm glad I shared this moment because the response that I got back were from people that shared a similar moment. We're all here. We're all here now. And we made it through the next day because I shared that between me and my son. Um, I can get through 20 more years of next days. It was 1999. A young six-year-old in Sydney's West had just begun his first year of school. His father opened up his then purple iMac G3 and loaded up the trailer for Star Wars The Phantom Menace. The video was buffering and blurry and the internet was only in its infancy. However, the 20th Century Fox logo loomed, pixelated, over the screen. And this boy knew exactly what his father was showing him as the familiar soundtrack began beckoning to him. Shots of spaceships and lightsabers struck the screen. I'll never forget seeing a pixelated image of a very young Jake Lloyd and Ewan McGregor as Liam Neeson utters the words, Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. The feeling was exhilarating. I knew this was an origin story for the ages before I even knew what a prequel or an origin story was. Amongst this revolutionary revival of the Star Wars saga was something far larger and simultaneously darker going on. Say what you will about The Phantom Menace, it was indeed divisive and may have been Hollywood and the zeitgeist first casualty of the internet. I myself enjoy The Phantom Menace, not unlike the original trilogy, these days through the eyes of that six-year-old who saw that first trailer on his dad's iMac in a pixelated clarity that the clickety-clackety, almost ancient-feeling dial-up internet gave one in 1999. However, what the current world doesn't realise is there was a young man from New York named Ahmed Best. You heard him at the top of this podcast. He broke down barriers and provided the world with one of the most innovative performances of both the 20th and the 21st century. This performance was named Jar Jar Binks. Now, Jar Jar was no regular Star Wars character. As you heard, he created the code for what is now called Motion Capture at ILM Studios. Although now a very common and well-known cinematic character type, particularly after James Cameron's Avatar, not many realised that Ahmed and Jar Jar were the first of their kind in the final year of the 20th century. Changing the cinematic landscape forever. 
However, unfortunately, the character, although in this guy's opinion, innovative and endearing, was not invited with open arms in the way that George Lucas and those at 20th Century Fox and even Hasbro, whom sunk more money than this humble illustrator will ever see in his lifetime, into the production of Jar Jar merchandise more than any other character in the film had hoped for. This led to Mr. Best, whom is of West Indian descent, to, for the past 20 years, which ironically is the time period the internet itself went through its angsty teenage years and is now in his rebellious and social justice warrior early 2020s. Suffered from some of the cruelest of racism and hateful comments. If you think this is going to be a rant on how racism and the internet have moulded to become a super alt-right baby, you'd be mistaken. This story is actually about suicide as Ahmed suffered from a fairly severe case of depression due to the way he was treated for his groundbreaking performance of Jar Jar Binks. Mental health is no joke. Ahmed, as you heard at the top of this podcast, almost committed suicide. The World Health Health Organization says that about 800,000 people die of suicide globally a year. That is approximately one person every 40 seconds and indications that for every person who dies of suicide, there were almost 20 others who attempt. The World Health Organization says that it is the second leading cause of death in 15 to 29-year-olds globally. This is shocking and scary. It actually brought tears to my eyes as I wrote this and it still does right now. Suicide is not an easy topic for me, and you're probably thinking, what has this got to do with art? Well, in fact, it's actually got everything to do with art, and I'd like to tell you my story. I attempted suicide back in 2012. It was a dismal attempt. In fact, I ran out onto the road at two in the morning hoping to get hit (laughs) the funny part was that it wasn't exactly the busiest of roads during the day let alone early morning so really all i did was run up the middle of an empty road at 2am and 
I got all of 200 meters away from my parents' home before my body couldn't continue because I wasn't a runner. So I just ended up falling to my knees and curling up into a ball in the middle of the road. Like some sort of armadillo or something. Although it seems insignificant, that cold winter night changed everything for me as it was the the lowest point that I've ever been. And when I wrote this, I started remembering my mother had to peel me off the road and my brother frantically drove her up to meet me to make sure I didn't do anything stupid. And I can't imagine the fear that they had in that moment. Something to be understood about those who commit suicide is that they're not in what we would call a quote-unquote normal mindset. For instance, I believe that Leonard Cohen wrote his song Hallelujah from a place of severe depression and possibly contemplating suicide. I mean, listen to these lyrics. Sorry about the dog. There's a dog next to us. Fucking just ignore him. Her, sorry. The lyrics go, Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. Proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to her kitchen chair and she broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips she drew the hallelujah. These lyrics could be considered the cry for help from a tortured man and the she, I believe, is a metaphor for any manner of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, bipolar, you name it. And speaking of lyrics about suicide, Chester Bennington, the lead singer of Linkin Park, wrote almost an entire album of lyrics that were a, were a cry for help. I myself am ashamed as a fan of Linkin Park that even I didn't see it. He left behind five children and a loving wife because all he could see was that he was not good enough for this world. <sighs> Suicide has played a major part in my life and being a survivor of mental health has affected and forever will affect my life and my work. I only talk of my experience as that is what I know. If I spoke of others' experiences, I would not be able to understand as I can only empathise, not fully understand. But you have to understand for the third time that... There's no, it's all relative. There's no, there's no scale for this kind of thing. Yeah, some things may seem worse than, than others, but we're all going through our own journeys and, and the suffering that we go through is relative to our tolerance and that which we've already been through. 
I wrote a book called Serenade. It's a graphic novel. And I'm finally getting around to releasing the first edition of it. First volume. The first book of Serenade is a messy, nightmarish story. As I was simply trying to figure out who I am via my own self-expression and through just simple self-expression really Serenade is a fucked up character but he is my hero as he saved me he saved me from myself and he saved me from the darkness that is not myself he gave me a purpose And this darkness I now see was simply something that attached itself to my brain like a virus, like a stain, like a parasite. And it was not me. It was its own entity. about this quote and I know it's so simple but someone just recently told it to me and I was like it's really helped me the past year but everything's going to be okay because it always has been like every time in your past in the past where you've gone it's not okay you're here now it was okay so every time you think it's not okay you have no evidence that it's not going to be okay because it always has been it's always okay and you always will get through things and it, it you might have rough times but It's going to, given the history of your life, you're going to be okay because when you thought it hasn't been okay, it always is. So I try to say it's going to, it will be okay. It will be okay. But God, it's hard. That was uh, comedian Nikki Glazer on comedian Burt Kreischer's podcast. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. This is the truth, and we all know this. I can empathise with you all. If you're lost, if you're feeling mistreated, misunderstood, or even alone, if you feel like no one will care if I end it today, I guarantee you, we will. That feeling of despair of darkness, of a hole in your chest, it will go away. How do I know? Because I was you. I realised that the only person who can truly help me is me. I was able to detach myself from my mental illness. I want you to think about it as a separate entity to you, a character of sorts. Give it a name. I called mine depression, darkness, anxiety, and fear. And like Nikki said, you have no evidence that things aren't going to be okay because they always have been okay. If you're still alive, 
that's all the evidence you need. Sometimes, unfortunately, when we're diagnosed with mental health issues, we find ourselves trapped in a label. Anxiety, bipolar, depression, etc. This does not define you. This does not control you. You are the sum of all the good you do in the world, not the mistakes you make. You are the sum of that which you learnt from your mistakes. In this context, this means if the mistake you made is suicide, you will be defined by this in the hearst. Sorry, in the hearts and minds of those you leave behind. You don't want that. What kind of legacy is that to leave behind? It's... Now, I understand that this is a delicate issue. I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's feelings or what, we, what they've been through. I mean, Lord knows there are some of you out there who have been through far worse than I. However, for, for what it's worth, I'm here today as a father, a fiancé and an artist because I overcame my mental health issues and I recognized that I was not well and that I not only needed medical and psychological help, that I was in control of my fate and my health. I used to write songs, more specifically rap songs. If you do a quick YouTube search, you'll probably find some real work of mine. This was something I began at 16 and undeniably it saved me because I was basically writing long form poetry about everything that happened to me me and most every dark thought I had. I mean, I have a cupboard right behind me here in my studio full of moleskin notepads just full of writing. Um, now, some of it's embarrassing. However, self-deprecation is the reason a lot of us are in this situation in the first place. I mean, I myself don't believe in self-deprecation as it's just another form of negativity towards the self. My depression returned last year due to the pressures of fatherhood and not having the time to become and do the work I know I'm capable of. Instead, I was stuck at a job I loathed and it drove me to a dark, dark place. However, I... I had a threat against my life mid last year and it threw me for a psychological loop as I was told I suffered trauma from the incident. It struck me hard because for whatever reason I felt like because I had fought it once that the war was won. I was done with it. I was in a time of peace for a long time and that war would not come again. So I became lazy about my mental health and didn't stick to the habits I had built in myself to be sure that war would not reoccur or rather that I'd be ready for war if it did. However, the wonderful thing about having been through depression before at a younger, 
less aware age was that I knew how to fight it this time. I knew exactly what I was to do and what I was up against. And so that's what I did. I, I went to my doctor. I got medicated. I found a new psychologist and I built a new routine around my old one to ensure that this would not occur again or that if it did, I had building blocks and pillars in place to keep me strong in the fight. I now have to-do lists and schedules. I have exercise regimes and rules around what I can and can't eat. I do monthly challenges with myself and see how far I can push my discipline and willpower. I strengthen my mind and my body so that if the fight comes to me again, I'm ready for it. The thirst war lasted the better part of three years. And it was a vicious battle. I broke down relationships that I'm still fixing to this day. The second war I fought has taken the better part of a year and I'm still fighting it today. However, I'm here to say to you that the human condition is a battle. Suffering is inevitable. However, the best thing we can all do for ourselves is come to terms with the fact that the way we will get stronger is accepting that life is about suffering. It sucks. Life's hard. It's, it's one hell of a war, but as the great Gary V always says, the odds of you being even a person that is alive on this earth is one in 400 trillion. One in 400 trillion. Those are amazing odds. And we are alive despite those odds. How is that not a reason to stay alive and be grateful every morning that you're alive? Every single morning. Wake up and thank the heavens. Thank whoever you believe in. Thank the trees for goodness sakes. <laughs> Please do me a favor and if you are feeling suicidal, just tell someone. I need to put this disclaimer in here because just tell anyone. I used to talk to my dog, may he rest in peace, because he was a fantastic listener. Have you got a dog? Have you got a cat? Have you got a fish? Go and talk to your fucking fish. <laughs> like, hell, please, even talk to me. Please don't be afraid to send me a message on Instagram or email me. I'll put my email in the episode notes, but it's jordan.morpeth at gmail.com. If you go to my Instagram at jordanmorpethart, you can click the email link. You can click the message link. Send me a message. Let me know what's going on. Just, I'm here to talk to you. I can't help you. I can't save you. But if you send me a message, I promise you I will reply. I cannot save you. Only you can. But at the very least, if I can be the person you talk to when you feel like you have one, if you have no one, sorry, when you feel like you have no one, that's all I need. That's all you need. 
If this podcast helps one, just one person, then I have done something right. By you, and this whole episode will not be in vain. Please, if you are feeling suicidal, don't just rely upon me. Talk to a parent, talk to a brother, talk to a sister, talk to a friend, talk to a cousin. I don't care who you talk to. Google suicide prevention hotline and you'll find the hotline in your area. The hotline for Australia for Lifeline is 131114. Give them a call. Send me an email. Do something. Talk to someone. Write it down. But don't mull over it in your own head. Get out of your own head. Please. Beg of you. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this new version of the podcast, of the solo cast. I've started writing some episodes, and I think I'm thinking getting. I think I'm getting so much more value and quality out of sitting down and writing um, most of what I would like to say um, instead of just babbling. So. Please let me know what you think um, and I hope that this has helped you if you're not feeling necessarily all that well about yourself. This world sucks. This world is so fucking negative and if I can help just one person get away from that negative bullshit that we deal with every day, then it changes everything you guys I love you all so much thank you for all of your support I really do appreciate you please you can leave a review on iTunes you can leave a comment on YouTube you can leave a message to me on on Instagram but what I really would like, if you really want to support Making Lemonade, just take a screenshot of your screen on iTunes or YouTube right now and share it on your stories on Instagram and tell just one friend. I mean, tell five friends, tell as many friends as you want. Just tell people, let people know what we're doing here in Making Lemonade. And guys, really, all I can say after this episode is please, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another and be kind to yourselves because you can't stop people from being assholes, but you can stop yourself from being an asshole to yourself. I love you all so much. Much love, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Making Lemonade. I'm Jordan. If you want to follow me on Instagram, Jordan Morpeth Art. Go and search that. I love you all. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, stay weird. Bleh!
should have stayed Were the signs I ignored Can I help you not to hurt anymore We saw brilliance when the world was asleep There are things that we can have But can't keep If they say Who cares if one more light goes out In the sky of a million stars Flickers, flickers Who cares when someone's time runs out If a moment is all we are Or quicker, quicker Who cares if one more light goes out Well, I